Welcome everybody to the Scottsdale study where we will study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today is Saturday, the 18th of March, 2023. My name is Orgian and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Ireland and I will be your host for today's study. Our co-hosts are Dottie S, Nancy J and Sue L. We ask if you could please make sure that you keep your microphone on mute at all times during today's study. And also, please turn off your video if you are exercising, eating, or if you need to step away from your screen at any reason. Please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts by private message in the chat function. And the chat function will be disabled until five minutes before the question and answer session. Please note that the speaker, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the question and answer session which follows will not be recorded. During the meeting, we will post the link to our seventh tradition. This money goes towards the cost of our Zoom account, the cost of uploading our recordings, and we also send contributions to our intergroup and WSO. We will post the link of our previous re week's recording also in the chat function. And I will now turn you over to Harlan. Thanks, Harlan. Thank you very much, Audrey. I'm so happy to be here today. Uh, I am not in Scottsdale today. I'm actually just a couple of blocks from the penthouse where we peruse Poop Park in Arlington Heights, where we see pedigrees and pooches pooping in the park. So very, very interesting today. It's about 20 degrees here. So eat your hearts out. Um, I'm very glad to be here. We are going to start on page 83 for those who are keeping score at home. And we are going to read a sentence that starts with, we are going to know. But before we get to that sentence, we're going to sort of back up as is my want to sort of give us a running start. And we're going to talk about where we are in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and where we are in our program of recovery. We're in what's called the, the promises, the so-called promises. And as such, we are between steps nine and 10. And when we get into this situation of being uh, between nine and 10, we're looking around and we're seeing that things have happened in our lives that most of us never could have planned for, most of us never could have expected, and certainly we could not have achieved on our own. That would have been beyond the scope of our human power. Um, and we're gonna look at these promises in hopefully a new way. And what I'd like to do right now is I'd like to read on page 83, the sentence that we're gonna be discussing today. We may do more than one sentence. Let's just see how far we get. But these promises are not the result of anything short than a very, very uh, diligent uh, amount of work. Because if you remember what we read last year, last week, not last year, last week, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, that means I have to be very, very diligent at working at my recovery. This is the key to so much of it is the work. And we have a friend, all of us have a friend in South New Jersey. And she says, I'm sorry you didn't get the results from the work you did not do. And so we have to make sure that we are not in that category by doing the work so that we can get these results. I'm gonna read two sentences. I'm gonna read the sentence that we did last week. And then we're gonna read the sentence for today and we'll see just how far we get. I'm on page 83, bottom of the page. 
If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. Here's today's sentence. If we are, we are going, not if, we are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. Let's stop right there and we'll see how far we get today. We are going to know a new freedom. In order to appreciate freedom, in order for me to understand freedom, I must first review the slavery, the incarceration of this disease. This disease is a prison cell for me. This disease is a trap that I could not escape from. It was not a trap that I fell into. I was born into it. It was not a trap that someone set for me. It was a trap. And it was something that happened when I was a young, young boy, young boy. And I started noticing from a very early age on that I was a slave to food. Bill Wilson says something in his story that is as good a description of this as I could ever, ever think is possible. He says, no words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched all around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Food from the time I was a child was my master. I was its slave. I did its bidding. And this disease had me in its grip from a very, very early age on. And when we talk about we are going to know a new freedom, I did not know what freedom was until I really worked this program. I believed in my heart that I would always be morbidly obese. I would be an object of ridicule. I would hate what I saw in the reflection that I cast in a mirror or a store window. I believed that physical discomfort was my fate forever. I believed that there was no way out for me. I also believed something else, and it was also wrong. It was incorrect. In my ego madness, I believed that the way I ate, the way I reacted to food, the way my mind worked, the way I was scared, the way I was angry, the food and the disease conspired to trap me in a, in, a, in a cell, into a prison. But the way that I lived my life was secret unto me. And one of the things that happened a long time before God emancipated me from this disease, I started to come to meetings in 1979. And what I noticed from going to a lot of meetings is there were people in these meetings that spoke the way I thought, that ate the way I ate, and that reacted to life the way I reacted to life. And I felt less alone when I was with them. I felt like there was hope for me because I understood for the very first time that I was not alone. 
And this was the beginning for me of recovery was to understand that there were other people who believed as I believed, who thought as I thought and who behaved as I behaved. We are going to know a new freedom. Now, when I talk about freedom, I wanna talk about some of the things You're out of vitally important, vitally, vitally important to me. For me, the slavery of this disease means that I live in constant fear and constant shame, fear of being discovered by people, fear of having somebody see me at the store, fear of having somebody catch me in a restaurant, fear of somebody seeing how fat that I've gotten since the last time I saw them fear of running into somebody on the street that I owed money to, fear of women, fear of men, fear of today, fear of tomorrow, fear of yesterday. The guilt and the shame and the remorse that wrecked my brain, that wrecked my life, held me in check for decades. I didn't want anybody to see how fat I was, but yet it was out there for the world to peruse. I did not want anybody to see what I was buying at the store, and yet I went and bought it anyway. I was destroying my life. I was held in check by a mind that kept me in bondage and a body that ensured that as soon as that food was in my body, there would be nothing I could do to fend off this craving. I am going to know a new freedom, freedom to like myself, freedom to speak to myself in a way that is kind and benevolent rather than horribly, horribly excoriating and horribly, horribly vicious. I was driving in a car about uh, 30 years ago. I had just moved with my then wife to Eugene, Oregon, and we were lost. And this was in the days before Google Maps and the days before all that stuff was, was around. And we were lost. We had been living in Eugene, Oregon, just for a matter of days, maybe a week at the most. And I was really mad at myself because I got lost. And she said to me in a very kind way, Harlan, if you spoke to yourself, if you spoke to your friends, excuse me, the way you speak to yourself, would you have any? And the answer was no. Today, I have the freedom to be my friend. Today, I have the freedom to like myself. Today, I have the freedom to choose to live in recovery by doing the steps. Now, freedom isn't free. And freedom is not just a state of mind. Freedom is work. Freedom means that I have to work at this every single day of my life. And that the minute I stop working at this, I am just like the man who is going up the down escalator. I must see myself as a man running up the down escalator. And if I do not exercise constant effort to get to the top, I will slide back down immediately. The result of going down 
will be sudden and it will be punitive and it will be upon me before I even know what hit me. So I have to picture myself often as running up the down escalator because freedom means that I am here to do God's work. Freedom to me means that I am here to do what it says on the bottom of page 14. And the bottom of page 14, the top of 15, tells me so much of what I need to know. And I'm going to read that paragraph right now. My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. What are the principles? The principles are the steps. There's a lot of people that say, well, the principle of this is honesty and the principle of this is hope and all that. That's not what he's talking about. That came about as the result of the 1980s. Bill was, was gone in 1971. When Bill is talking about the principles in the, in the book, he's talking about the steps. My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. And so that means that I have to be working with others. The best way to learn this program is to teach it to other people. The best way for me to remember this is to teach it to other people. And in order to do that, I have to move through the steps quickly because on page 89 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it very simply says, nothing ensures immunity from drinking like intensive work with other alcoholics. So I have to get to that point as quickly as I possibly can. A lot of people say, where does it say in the big book to work the steps quickly? This is it, but you just have to know what you're looking for. Okay, faith without works was dead, he said. And how, appalling, how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. Let's go back to page 83. When we talk about freedom, we are going to know a new freedom. We have to remember, I have to remember, that what this means is constant vigilance, constant work. I have to keep doing more and different, more and different, because this disease is constantly morphing and metastasizing and adapting to me to try to kill me. So my recovery has to be ever-changing. My recovery has to be ever-deepening. My recovery has to be ever-improving. And the only way for me to do that is to keep working at it. And what I cannot do is I cannot see any of these things as destinations. I have to see them as journeys. Freedom is not a destination. 
Freedom is a journey. And the way to embark upon that journey, one step at a time, is to do whatever I can do to clean house, trust God, clean house, help others. Trust God, clean house, help others. What does that mean? I work the steps and I start sponsoring other people. Not one other person, but for me, I sponsor far too many, but I have to keep working at this. It is important for me to remember that none of these concepts, freedom or happiness or any of these things, is going to be realized in a moment. It is going to be realized in hundreds of moments as I live out my life. It is going to be realized by continuing to work at it. Very, very important. Freedom is not free. Let's continue. And a new happiness. In order for me to examine happiness, I must unfortunately first be beaten down into a state of unhappiness. No one here, and there are 144 of you right now, 145, okay. None of us got up in, a, in, a, in the morning and said, my life is great. My life is fantastic. I think I'm going to go join Overeaters Anonymous. No matter whether you're male or female or black or white, gay or straight or Jewish or Protestant or Catholic or Buddhist or Muslim, no matter what, what your background is, tall or short, you came here out of pain. You came here out of torture. You came here because you could not take the way you had been living. And the way you had been living was too painful for words. Dare I think that I can be happy. And some of you that are listening to my voice right now are thinking to yourself, but you don't understand. My marriage, my relationship is not good, or I'm lonely, I don't have a relationship, or I can't pay my bills, or whatever your situation is. Some of you come from Yale, and some of you come from jail, and some of you come from Park Avenue, and some of you come from under a park bench. But no matter who you are, you have the right to work with others to recover and to do what you need to do to gain a large modicum of happiness. Let's take a look, if we can, at page 63 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we're gonna take a look first at the bottom of 62. And we're gonna look at page 62 and we're going to see that the sentence that we're reading, which is very simply, we are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness, is very married to what I'm about to read. I'm at the bottom of 62. First of all, we had a quit playing God. It didn't work. And quit playing God to me doesn't just mean that I'm trying to control the world. 
that I'm trying to control the events of the world. It also means that I cannot, if I want to live in God's world, I cannot jump to the negative conclusions that I am so given to jumping to. My mind is a mind of catastrophizing. My mind is a mind of negative thinking. My brain goes to the negative. It goes to the crazy. It goes to crazy, absurd situations. And my brain and my diseased personality can snatch unhappiness from the most joyous, most wonderful situation. I'm here in Arlington Heights because of something that is so miraculous and so fantastic. And yet my brain, my personality, and my ego will prepare me for catastrophe by giving me negative input. So I have to fight back against that by doing the work of the program. Very, very important. It says here, first of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. And that to me means I have to get my ego out of the way through action. I can't just make a decision to get my ego out of the way. That's insufficient. I must get my ego out of the way by doing the steps and helping other people. The helping of other people can't come until I've earned my credential. And the only way I'm going to earn my credential is to work the steps. He is the principal. We are his, his agents. What does that mean? That means I have a fiduciary duty. That's a fun word to say, fiduciary. What does it mean? It means that I am bound by law as an agent. In the state of Arizona, I work with a business broker. What's a business broker, you might say? Well, a real estate broker sells your house. We sell your business. So I work with him. And if we actually sell the business, I get a piece of the pie. But I am bound by Arizona law to put the needs and wants of my client above my own because I am an agent and the client is the principal. So we have a fiduciary duty with God. What does that mean? It means I'm bound to put the needs and the wants of God above my own. Very, very important. Now, how do I know what God wants? How do I know what God wants of me? I have to be quiet enough to listen to the voice of God. My will is capital letters and exclamation points. I want her, I want them, I want it. I didn't get this and I didn't get that and I didn't go here and I didn't go there and this and on and on and on. The ranting and raving of ego. God speaks to me in subtleties. He spoke to me this morning. Last night, I was mentally wrestling with an issue that made me sad. And this morning, I got up and I checked my phone and there was a message from God disguised 
as a message from another person. And it was clear and it was concise and it could not have been more appropriate. And it didn't rant and rave about what I want and what I should have. And, and if I'm not careful, I'm going to blow the rest of my life worrying about things that didn't happen 50 years ago. But today I got a clear signal as to what I need to do. So I have to be quiet. And in my disease, the tempestuous craziness in my head. I'm a tempest in a teapot in my brain because there's all this stuff going around in my head like the tempest in the teapot and I will miss the voice and message of God. He is the principal. I am the agent. He is the father. We are his children. <clears throat> now, some of us have fathers that were not so fantastic. And some of us have fathers that were. Doesn't matter. We're talking about the perfect father. We're talking about the father that is in heaven. We're talking about the perfect padre. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch which we, to which we, through which we pass to freedom. There's this freedom concept again. So we see the word freedom. We see this word freedom in page 62's description. And then what do we see on page 83? We are going to know a new freedom. There's that word again, because these concepts are very married. Let's go to the top of page 63, and we're going to tie it together, I hope, nicely. When we sincerely took such a position, what position is that? The position that says he is the principal, I am the agent, he is the father, I am the child, he is the director, I am the actor. All sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all powerful, he, capitalized, provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. So I am now defocused off what I want, and I am here now to do what God wants. So the key is I get this freedom and I get happiness by a cessation of ego-driven activities that say, I want my way, I want this, I want that. And it's important to work. Yes, I work, you know, I, I work full time. I do what I need to do. I render unto God what is God's. I render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. But I have to do God's work. And if I do God's work, then I'm going to be okay. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves our little plans and designs. You see, we're products of Western culture. So we have to look out for number one. Isn't that what we're taught constantly? Look out for number one. And when I first came into this program and they said to me, I had to do service, I said, Chuck, you Barley, I ain't doing no service. Who did service for me? When are you guys gonna do service for me? It doesn't work that way. 
It just doesn't work that way. How it works is this way. I do God's work and God provides for me. I do God's work and things come together beyond my wildest imagination. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. I am not a contributor by my nature. I am a taker. I want to take, oh, I'll give you a quarter, but you better believe I'm going to be back around for $5 pretty soon. I'll give you a quarter. Sure, sure. No problem. But I'm going to be back around for a lot more because I am a taker and I'm selfish and I'm ego driven by my nature. I want what I want. I want it now or I want you dead. That's who I am. And when it came to happiness in my life, when I'm in my disease, to be perfectly honest with you, my greatest joy in life, my greatest happiness in life was the misery of other people. I know that sounds sick, but that's who I was. I would get a little smile in my brain when I saw that you were suffering too, because I was suffering so much. And I wanted company. And I thought to myself, how could I be part of this world when they, meaning everybody beyond me, me prime, why are they so happy and together? And they are so wonderful. And I'm so scared to death. And I'm so weak. And I constantly compared my weak, sniveling insides, my broken insides with your seemingly together, strong, and wonderful outsides. In order for me to be happy, I have to let go of that ego-driven crazy. And I have to know that my joy in life cannot in a healthy world come from your misery. And today I have transcended that where I am truly unhappy when you are unhappy and truly glad when you are glad. That's a huge transition for me. That is a huge transition for me. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, Peace of mind does not come from the food. Anesthetizing myself with chocolate came. That's not peace of mind. That's not happiness. That's not freedom. But when I can contribute to life and I can have peace of mind, it comes from knowing that I've done a good job today. I ask myself every day. What am I grateful for? What did I see today that was beautiful? I ask myself these questions every day. Where do I need God's help? I do my step 11 every morning. I do my step 11 every evening. It is a part of me. Thank God it's a part of me because I wouldn't know how to live without it. As we discovered we could face life successfully, I never knew what it was like to face anything successfully because I always expected to fail. I, count, I counted on failing. I had a very negative attitude. I had a, an attitude that says, 
I don't know how to stay in there. I was a quitter. And as a quitter, what happened to me on a thousand different occasions is I never tasted victory because I never hung in there long enough to try. And I never hung in there long enough to get to the other side of failure. When things became difficult, I gave up. When things became difficult, I stopped doing it. I threw my chips in and I said, I'm out. And today I find myself in a position where I can hang in there and I can work toward a goal. And even though I'm going to encounter difficulties, I can accomplish greater things than I ever could have imagined I would be capable of. And it gives me great joy to be in places in my life that I never thought possible. As we became conscious of his presence, I'm very conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter, we were reborn. Let's go back to page 83. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. Happiness does not come from your misery for me today. Happiness comes from the joy of recovery. Happiness comes from seeing you guys coming in on the Zoom meetings or when we were in person at the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club or when I was in Chicago at Swedish Covenant Hospital or the Lieberman Center or Skokie Valley Hospital or Thorac Hospital or all the places that I used to go to meetings here in Chicago, seeing others coming in, struggling and dying of this disease, circling the drain and seeing your resurrection, to see the light come on in your face, to see the illumination of your soul as it soared into recovery. But that doesn't come because some are lucky. That doesn't come because some are smiled upon. It doesn't come because some are so fortunate. It comes from doing the work. And the only way that it comes is from doing the work. And so when we talk about going to know a new freedom and a new happiness, we are talking about the results of work. Let's continue. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Now, this is a promise I struggle with every day of my life. I struggle with this promise more than I struggle with just about anything because I look back on my life and I often tell myself, what did I miss out on because of this disease? I missed out on romance. I missed out on dating. I missed out on all these various things. I missed out on the joy of life because of this disease. And so I struggle with this, that we will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it, because my brain wants to reach back and sabotage my recovery by continually telling me why I shouldn't be happy because of something that did or did not happen 50, 60 years ago. 
So constantly God puts in my life wonderful people to remind me and wonderful ways for me, somebody's unmuted, ways for me to focus on the here and now. And how do I do that? I do a gratitude list. Now I've been doing it in my head, but I also write them down. What am I grateful for today? Am I grateful for a lot of things? Of course I am. I'll tell you something I am grateful for. When I was a young kid in the 60s, I was born in the 50s, but I'm really a child of the 60s. I didn't take drugs and I didn't, you know, I didn't do psychedelics or anything like that. But I was a kid in the 60s when a certain brand of blue jean was totally cool, totally cool. And other things were not so cool. And I was a product of the 60s when garments were skin tight, not just on girls, but on guys too. Everything was skin tight. And there was a particular store in my neighborhood on Devon Avenue. And it was the place where the cool boys bought their clothes. And if you went and bought your clothes there, you were cool. And I couldn't buy my clothes there. I didn't fit in anything in that store. The only thing I could have bought in that store was maybe a glove and maybe that wouldn't have even fit. But the bottom line is today, I realized that I'm a long way since the 19, I'm a long way past the 1960s. I am wearing a size of pants that is lower than I have worn in many, many, many years. <clears throat> and the brand of jeans that I used to envy, that I thought would be so tr trans. So absolutely trans, uh, uh, transcend me into a Zen-like state, I'm wearing them now. And even though I'm not in the 1960s, I feel fantastic because I have the gift of God. I have evidence that God is here. Is the brand of jeans that I'm wearing so vital? No. Is it mean anything? No. It means something to me because what it says to me is stay the course and I, God, will take care of you. Take care of you. <clears throat> that is what that means to me. <clears throat> I got to get a drink of water here. So hold on one second. I'm dying here because it's dry. Hold on. Okay. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. I'm a work in progress. <clears throat> I'm not there yet, but I work at it constantly. And sometimes I have setbacks in this area. And sometimes I'm in the in, I'm in line with that, but we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Now I wanna to read to you from something that comes from page 124. And on page 124 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, Bill is very given to teaching in a way that uses spiraling. And what is spiraling? Spiraling is the repetition of 
information. When Bill wants to teach us something, he doesn't just teach it to us once, he teaches it to us repeatedly. So when we read this sentence, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it, along with the communications that I received this that were so effusive and so loving and so kind, I almost cried. But I want you to turn your attention to page 124. And I want you to see the second paragraph that says this painful past may be of infinite value to other families still struggling with their problem. We think each family which has been relieved owes something to those who have not. And when the occasion requires, each member of it should be only too willing to bring former mistakes, no matter how grievous, out of their hiding places. Showing others who suffer how we were given help is the very thing which makes life seem so worthwhile to us now. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. Absolutely, positively, the best piece of information I need to hear today. I am going to continue today to give of myself I am going to continue today to help other people and I'm going to use my dark past to try to help them. And in helping them, I help myself. I do not learn this program. Clancy Immislin teaches us, taught us. He taught us, I do not learn this program by absorbing spiritual information. I learn this program by transmitting spiritual information. What does that mean? I have to sponsor and I have to teach this book, teach these lessons to other people. The reason that I survived the horrific situation of weighing 335 pounds as a senior in high school, 500 pounds as a sophomore in college, 600 pounds graduating college, 700 pounds, is so I could help other people. There was no other reason why I survived. And in helping other people, I glean a little bit of that recovery for myself. And if I transmit this to enough other people, the amount that I get to keep is adequate to carry me through that day. It's so important. And there are people who I've had crying in my, in my life, in person, on the phone, and Zoom. Because we speak and understand the language of the heart. We speak and understand a language that nobody else understands. There are 160 of us, and we speak the language of the heart. Now, some of us come from the very obese side of this disease. That's me. Some of us come from the anorexic side, the bulimic side. But God doesn't waste anything in his economy. 
What God does in his infinite wisdom is he provides people like you and me to help people like you and me. And that your story of surviving sexual abuse or your story of being abandoned by your parents or your story of being fired from a job because of your eating disorder, your story of survival is the one story that will get through to the next person and they in turn can help others. We can achieve immortality because we will pass off the earth, but the things we say and do will not. Bill Wilson wrote this book in 1937 and 38 and 39, and on April the 10th, 1939, the book was printed. We're still studying it today. They will be studying this book 20,000 years from now. His work is immortal. Your work is immortal because you never know. And I'm going to tell you a story of a guy that I knew who's unfortunately dead now, and his name was Scott. And Scott was a drug addict, and he was an alcoholic, and he was a compulsive overeater. And he was a handsome guy. The girls used to go bananas for him. Oh, my God, they all wanted to be with him. And they would flip their hair and they would laugh at his stupid, idiotic jokes. I'm just as funny as he was. Don't kid yourself. No, I'm kidding. But the bottom line is, is that he was like an unbelievable guy when it came to the girls. And he was an actor. And one day he got a role in an on-Broadway play, on-Broadway. And he left for New York. And he went out there and he was in this play and he met a girl in the play and he married her. And they decided they were going to light out for Los Angeles, California when the play ended. And they did. And they were going to try to get into commercials or they were going to try to uh, get into TV or movies or whatever came their way. They were going to go for it. And they went out to Los Angeles and he was very active in AA. And it was a Saturday night, very rainy Saturday night in Los Angeles. And he got a call from a guy in a motel in East Los Angeles, California. And the guy was struggling and they always go out in twos and him and this other guy, they went out and they visited this guy in East Los Angeles, California. And if you know anything about LA, East Los Angeles is not exactly the high rent district. And they went out there and they talked to this guy. And after about an hour, they realized he was sleeping. And they put his feet on the bed and they covered him up and they left. Five years, somebody's unmuted. Five years later, five years later, he is speaking in San Diego and he is talking there, doing a lead and he gets done and a man comes up to him and throws his arm around him and says, are you Scott? And he says, yes, I am. 
and he throws his arms around him and lifts him up and says, you saved my life. And Scott says, thank you, but I don't believe I know you. And the guy puts him down and says, oh, yeah. He says, I forgot to tell you who I am. He says, do you remember a few years ago, you came out to East Los Angeles and you went to a motel with a friend of yours and you talked to a guy sitting on the bed? And he says, yes, I remember that, but that's not you. He says, no, no, no. I was hiding under the bed. That guy died about two months after you were there. I was hiding under the bed. I heard every word you said, and I haven't had a drink since. You never know what's going to happen, that you're going to do something, say something, know something, and you're going to achieve instant immortality because your dark past will become your greatest asset. Your dark past will cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have. The key to life and happiness for us, with it, you can avert death and misery for them. And if you go to this sentence that says, we will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it, you see that you were uniquely qualified because of what you went through. Had you not been heartbroken, had you not been lonely, had you not disgraced yourself, had you not been living a secret life of bulimia, had you not been in the situation that you were in, you would not be qualified to do the one thing that God put you here to do, save the life of one of his children. So often I hear, oh, these promises are not coming true for me. Oh, these promises, I don't know. I might have to, I might have to go back through the steps. I can't sponsor anybody. I read these promises and they have not come true for me. If they have not, and you're sitting and listening to me and you are sitting there thinking to yourself, but I don't have these promises. You can go to the one source that will bring these promises alive for you. And I'm going to give you a foolproof course of action that will bring these promises into your life. Do the steps and help others. Are you looking for God? You'll find him in the face of one of his children. You'll find him certainly in the face of another compulsive overeater. And he will be there and his face will shine upon you. I promise you, you will not want for the location of God when you look for him in the face of one of his children. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door upon it, means that the torture of being emasculated by this disease, the torture of being twice or three times or four times the size of any of my friends, the torture of not being able to get in and out of a car, the hell 
of the world that I lived in as a compulsive overeater. The loneliness was deafening. The loneliness was palpable. I didn't go through it for nothing. This disease came into my life and ransacked me. I went to a, I went to a place on Thursday and it's a place in downtown Chicago. And the last time I was there, I was in fifth grade at Green Elementary School in Chicago on Devon and Whipple. And at that time, I was at that time 10 years old. When I was in fifth grade, I was 10 years old, I think. And um, the last time I was there, I was riddled with the insanity of diet pills that were prescribed to me by a doctor. My brain would race uncontrollably. I couldn't hear what people were saying to me. I couldn't think. It was like trying to think on a roller coaster. It was like trying to read the newspaper on a roller coaster. You cannot do it. And the food was not there to satisfy my fear, my anger, my angst, my selfishness, the guilt, the shame, the remorse that I felt every day of my life because I, I couldn't eat much on those pills. I remember laying awake all night long, unable to sleep and being expected to do well in school the next day with zero sleep or very little sleep. Maybe an hour or two, three at tops because those amphetamines were going through my 10-year-old body and they were doing terrible things to me, but I lost weight. They accomplished that goal, but they almost killed me in the process. If I didn't have that experience, would 160 people have come here today? If I didn't break furniture, would you guys have come here today? It is because of those things, not in spite of those things, that I may have something to say. Now, that is not unique to me. That is not unique to my story, to my experience. Maybe you're saying, but I never broke furniture. I never was an object of ridicule. I had a healthy life. I had a great family. I had a great romantic life. I had a great work life. I was highly successful. Something brought you here. And it wasn't an engraved invitation. Something dumped you on the shore of OA. Something somehow went wrong. You've got your story. You've got your hell to share with somebody else. Because not everybody's going to relate to me. Not everybody is going to relate to you. But together, when we work as one by extending our hands and hearts of Overeaters Anonymous, we can make a difference. To extend the hand and heart of Overeaters Anonymous to those who urgently seek it, for this I am responsible. That's the responsibility pledge. 
And since I know some of you are going to ask me to repeat it in the q and I'll do it now. To extend the hand and heart of Overeaters Anonymous to those who urgently seek it, for this I am responsible. I'm not really an art person, but I have someone very close to me who is. And there's a famous picture. I believe it's on the Sistine Chapel, and I'm not Catholic, but I think it's on the roof, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel of a hand coming down from heaven and another hand reaching up from earth and they're joined and the hand from heaven is helping the hand from earth to rise. You can be that hand of heaven. You can extend the hand and heart of God. You have that power. If you choose to do the work, that's how you achieve these promises. So far, we have read in two weeks if we have been, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, hard work. We are, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. You will be amazed before you're halfway through if you do the work. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. That freedom. And that happiness have a price to pay for them. And they are not free. And this is not an event. You don't get to Happinessville or Joyville or whatever you want to name it in an event. You get there through thousands of events that become the formation of a process. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. That's my biggest challenge in life. And I have to work at it constantly. Specifically, how do I do that? Help others. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, my dark past can be of maximum benefit to them. And to every single day, count my blessings. Now, next week, we're going to continue with these promises. Not next week. I'm going to be in Dallas next week. You're going to have a couple of fantastic speakers. Yes, we are doing Q&A today. We are, yes. Okay. But we are going to have two fantastic speakers for next week. And we are going to do that uh, because I'm going to be in Dallas, Texas, doing a one-day workshop. So before I turn this over to Audrey, or Nancy, I don't know who, I'm going to just remind you if you, uh, and I want to thank you all for coming. You've all touched me very greatly today. I want to uh, thank all the people that do service for this and, and Lauren and Audrey and Maria and Nancy. I don't even want to think about who I'm missing here, uh, who do service for this to keep it going. Just tremendous, tremendous service. If you asked a question last week, please step back and let someone else answer, uh, ask a question. And for the love of God, no math and no food. I gave up math for 